Uh, if you do not have one of those, uh, if you look at the back of the pew in front of you, uh, we've got some blue Bibles there. Um, those are for you to use and to keep if you don't have one. Feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift for you. Um, I have the gift and privilege of having two daughters, and they're still young enough to think that their dad is cool. Um, I know there's a day coming where that's just not going to be the case. I get that, I understand that, but for now I'm just going to soak it up while I can. Uh, But I've already noticed that recently in the eyes of Gemma, our youngest, I've already been replaced as number one. Um, Gemma is three, and her big sister Hattie is six, and Gemma's under the impression that Hattie is the greatest thing in the world. Um, They're sisters, so of course there's going to be fights from time to time, but for the most part, Gemma will follow and imitate and pursue Hattie relentlessly. Uh, just last weekend, we, we traveled back from Ohio. It was a, it was a long trip in the car. Uh, so when we got home, of course, as a six-year-old and a three-year-old, they had this incredible burst of energy. Uh, so I'm unpacking the van. I'm grabbing suitcases and backpacks and coolers. And each time that I come to the house uh, carrying something, I see Hattie buzz by me at full speed. And right behind her, going as fast as she can possibly go, is, is Gemma doing everything she can to desperately keep up. All right, I also noticed that, that Jim is imitating Hattie, going so far as saying exactly everything that Hattie's saying. So Hattie screams out, this is so fun. And there's this echo of Jim going, this is so fun. And it's just, let's go downstairs. Let's go downstairs. I mean, everything, right? Just imitating everything. So I get the van unloaded. The next time Hattie comes sprinting by, I, I catch her and I grab her because if, I've learned if you don't physically stop her, there's no chance of grabbing her attention. And I knew, that we, we picked up the Christmas tree that afternoon. I knew Hattie really wanted to decorate it that night. And so I said, hey, if you, if you really want to have time to put up the tree tonight, then I'm going to need your help. Okay? Uh, we've just got too much to do. We've been gone all week. So do you think you could help me out by just picking up and cleaning up your room and then coming out here and picking up and cleaning up the living room? And she really wanted to do it. So Hattie agrees quickly. And she turns to Gemma and she says real, in a real excited voice, come on, Gemma, let's go pick up. And for the first time, Gemma didn't move. Hattie went running off and Jimmy didn't follow. She didn't repeat after what she didn't repeat what she said. She just kind of looked around and thought, no. And then she walked away and went downstairs. Right? When it was fun and it was games and running excitement that she would follow Hattie through anything. But when it came to cleaning up, when it would cost her something, she she had none of it. Right? And since I've become a parent, God has used my kids to humble me on more occasions than I'd like to admit. I will see something in them, and I begin to experience frustration with them, and then a light bulb goes off in my head where, like, God's saying to me, I know, right? See how I feel? You get it now? I will sit Hattie down, and I'll be like, hey, I just, I just don't understand why you question me on this. I know so much more than you. Oh, yeah. That's must, that must be how God feels, right? Or, Gemma, stop, stop fighting against this. I'm just trying to protect you. Oh, so that's what that thing was about. But I'm telling you, I saw something in Jimmy that night that I see in myself. And if I know you good enough this morning, I see it in you. Because it's in all of us. See, the Bible tells us that we've been created by God. And in that process, we were made in his image and uniquely designed to be in relationship with him. So that for us to flourish, for us to experience uh, the fullness of life and joy, to be at our best, we must pursue and worship and follow after God. But there's something in each of us that I saw in my three-year-old that night. There's something in each of us that says, I will only follow so far. And when I get to that point, I'll look around, I'll consider it, but then I'll say, no. That's just too much. You're just asking too much. You can't have that. You can't go there. 
Now, some of us don't get very far down this path at all. They won't, they won't even recognize that God even exists because even that recognition would cause them to submit to something other than themselves, and they're just not up for that. Right? But others get pretty far down this path. Right? They, they accept and proclaim Christ. They, they do their best to live their lives for him. They're part of a local church. They might even serve or work in it, but they're not perfect. Right? And so there's this moment. There's some kind of calling and challenge as a cost where even they would say, I, I can't go that far. And maybe for some of you this morning, you're sitting there, and it, that's kind of abstract. You, you might even have trouble defining what that is for your life. And maybe for some of you, it's, it's quite clear. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know how far you'll go. You know what you're willing to grant or give up to God in this life. You might even remember cognitively deciding, well, that's just too much. You can't have that. There might even be a moment you had, just like the rich young ruler had with Jesus, when he was given a call that he felt was too steep, and he walked away sad. We're in the midst of our Christmas series that we're calling when, when light pierced the darkness. We're talking about that moment when God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about how, how that was a rescue mission. Right? That Jesus was light being sent into darkness. And that theme permeates all of the Bible. But for our time today, when I refer to darkness this morning, I'm going to be talking about an inner darkness that's within all of us. It's a spiritual darkness. And this darkness is a result of our sinful, broken nature. And what it does, how it plays out, is it begins to cloud our thinking. It impedes us making good decisions. It's the darkness that leads to us saying to God, you can't have that. I won't go there. I won't believe that. And my prayer today is that Jesus would shine his light right into that darkness. Because I'm going to be honest with you, you've never met someone more relentless than Jesus. A lot of times when we pray or approach God or think about God, we only want God to focus on the good that we have done. It's like we hand him our resume. I believe in you, God. I, I, I went to church today. Didn't you see me? I even, I even dressed pretty nice. I did all these good things this week. And listen, God is glorified by and takes pleasure in any effort of ours to include him in our lives. But the thing about Jesus is that he is most interested. He's most interested in the places that we say to him, you can't have that. That's too much. And that Jesus just goes there and he goes to work relentlessly. And it's because he has the utmost confidence in himself. Jesus believes and knows to be true that he's the very best thing for you and everyone around you. And so the more and more and more you submit to him, the more and more and more you become who you were actually created to be. And whatever it is that we won't surrender to him, we won't hand over to him, we won't believe about him, when we do that, we think and believe we are making those decisions based on ourselves. I can't give that up. It just cost me too much. I'm still confused. You haven't convinced me. We think those decisions are based on us, but they really aren't. Because any moment that we tell God, I'm sorry, you can't have that, is a moment that we have lost sight of who God is. It's a moment that we have had amnesia and we have just forgotten how great and awesome and loving and powerful he is. So to help us understand this, what I'm talking about this morning, I want us to look at the Bible and we're going to start with the most famous verse in the Bible. In John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. If you've spent any time in church at all in your life, you've heard this verse, uh, but if you're hearing it for the first time, Uh, hopefully you'll get the gist of it. For God so loved the world, John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. 
This is probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, verse 16 is. And growing up, I remember growing up watching football games on television. Whenever there was a field goal or an extra point, I'd see someone holding up, knowing that the camera would be on the crowd, someone holding up a sign that said John 3.16. And the reason for that is this it is an incredibly awesome verse. It's just full of good news. There's no bad news in it. Right? It's only good, so, so good that no one should take issue with it. The first thing that we're told in John 3.16 is that God is love, and his love is for the world, for all those that he has created in his image. And he loves the world, which means that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you in judgment or anger and spite. He looks at you in love. And it's this love that compels God to send Jesus. Because when God looks out over our world, he knows it's not as it was originally designed. He sees the effects of sin and darkness. Nothing is beyond him. Even today, God is heartbroken by sin and the ramifications of it. When, when families split apart, when, when kids have unspeakable upbringings, the, the racial divide, even just in this country, that's been so harshly intensified in recent days. I can't, I can't remember going through a Christmas season in my life without knowing of multiple families who have a tragedy or death come their way. Angst and turmoil, stress, worry, Pain, illness, grief, loss, doubt, confusion, pride, lust, racism, prejudice, backstabbing, lack of justice, fathers abandoning their duties, addiction, and on and on and on and on the list goes. These are the ramifications of sin. And God has such a love for you and I that he could not simply just sit there and watch it unfold. No, he was compelled by love to do something. That's what we're told in verse 16. That it was love that caused him to sin Jesus. And Jesus came to correct the very issue behind all of it. See, what happens is when we see the ramifications of sin in our lives, we always ask God to clear up the symptoms. Right? Well, what God has always been about is healing the disease. And God knows that all tragedy, all loss, all pain, all suffering, everything that is wrong with our world, all flows from sin. So he sent Jesus, according to verse 17, not to condemn the world, but to save it. To save it from their sin. And so Jesus came bringing his light into our darkness, right? He lived the perfect life that we cannot. He paid the price that we, we could not pay for the sins that you and I have committed. And then he defeated death and rose again to offer us just what verse 16 tells us, right? That, listen to that language. All, whoever, anyone, everyone who believes in Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. There's no bouncer standing at the kingdom of heaven looking to see if you're on a VIP list. Anyone who believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. And what that means is that if you believe in Christ, if you ask him to forgive you of your sins and surrender your life to his leading, then the rest of your days on this earth, you will be commissioned to fight the darkness. And when you die like everyone dies, we're told here you won't perish. You don't really die. Instead, God brings you into eternal life with him, a place where there is no sin, right? So, so now, no suffering, pain, death, separation, prejudice, darkness, all those are gone because sin doesn't exist there, right? Because we're told that Jesus came to save the world. He came to save anyone, whoever, all who would believe in him. And that's just good news. There's nothing in those verses that you can't say is good news. There's really no way to push back against that, but we do, don't we? We always push back against Jesus. There is no more controversial figure in history than Jesus Christ. And it didn't just start a couple years ago. We tried to kill him from the moment he was a baby, and we have never stopped since. 
It's somehow, some way, Jesus came and he gave of himself and he died a terrible death on a cross for others' sake, and yet there are people storming into Iraqi cities and neighborhoods and beheading children just because those children say they love Jesus. There are people who've dedicated their entire lives and professional lives to trying to discredit and attack anything that his name is associated with. You want to go to Honey Creek Mall this afternoon and ask 100 people what they think of Confucius, right? Most won't have an opinion at all, and there'll probably be a good chunk that don't even know who he is. But you ask those same 100 people about Jesus, and the vast majority are not only going to have an opinion, but they will hold it strongly and deeply with great emotion, whether it be positive or negative. So what gives? How, how does such strong reaction come from what could only be considered good news? Well, in verse 18 we begin to see a bit of the picture. And let me, before we read these verses, let me, let me just say this with you this morning. I get incredible joy out of verse 16 and 17. I don't get any joy out of verses 18 to 20. Okay. I think they make what I do for a living incredibly important and I have to proclaim them, but I take no pleasure in what I'm about to share with you. Okay, so let's look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Okay, see, what's happening now is lines are being drawn. Right? Before you get ready to rise up and protest, can we at least agree on this point before we go further? Truth by its very nature divides. That's what truth does. It draws lines. It separates itself from falsehood. If something is true, then a claim contrary to it simply cannot be true. That's just basic logic. So if you want everyone to be right, if you only have room in your worldview for everything to be inclusive and everyone to agree, then at least admit this morning that you're not searching for truth. Because truth divides. Truth draws lines. And in verse 18, the Bible begins to draw lines. In verse 18, it starts by picking up on the good news of verse 16 and 17, that whoever, anyone, listen to that language again, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, that their standing before him is secure in the grace and righteousness of Jesus. Listen, believer this morning, you cannot out-sin Jesus' grace. There's nothing that you have done or can ever do that won't be covered by his blood on the cross. If you're in Christ this morning, you have grace, you have life forever, and you are free from sin and death, and you are free from condemnation. You do not stand condemned. God has not condemned you. But if you don't believe in Jesus this morning, verse 18 says you stand condemned already. And God has not condemned you. And Jesus did not condemn you. And I certainly will not, cannot, and don't want to condemn you. But regardless, you stand condemned already. And people are always asking, well, how, how could God be loving? Right, how could God claim to be a loving God and then turn around and say, if you don't believe this right thing, then, then I'll condemn you? It's a good question. It's just not how it goes. It's a misguided one. But the Bible teaches that you and I in our sin, we are already condemned by our sin. So Jesus doesn't say to anyone, believe in me or I will send you to hell. He says to you, you're on your way to hell. Let me save you from that. That's what he came to do. Too often we respond by pushing back and saying, who is this Jesus telling me that he's the only way? I mean, the nerve of that guy, right? But what we should be doing is celebrating because we were condemned already and he made a way for us. He came to rescue us. God made a way for you. 
But in his love and in his truth and out of his concern for you, he wants you to know that if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't accept that way, then you are dead in your sins and they will condemn you. And it won't be because you're a worse person than anybody else. And it won't be because you didn't do enough good. And it won't be because God didn't love you as much as someone else. It will be that Jesus Christ made a way for you to escape and you didn't believe in him. Jesus is the hurdle that you will trip over. Which begs the question, why would anyone ever reject the offer of grace and forgiveness and eternal life? Well, in verse 19 and 20, we're told why. Look what the Bible says in verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And all those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. We're told here that God has declared the verdict that he sent Jesus into this world to bring light into darkness. He sent Jesus to bring light into our lives and into our existence to dispel the darkness. And what did we do? We chose the darkness. Sin has twisted our brains and our desires so much that we actually want and pursue. And, and we're told here in John that we love the darkness. It hurts us. It harms us. It destroys our relationships. It causes us grief and pain and loss. It's the one thing that keeps us from having life. And still we say, give us more darkness. We love it. I'd rather be over here in the dark than actually come out into the light because we're afraid. What we're afraid of is what the light might expose. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that Satan has blinded the eyes and the minds of those who don't believe so that they cannot see the light of the good news of Jesus. So Jesus offers to bring his light into our lives and we can't see, we can't see that what he offers is actually what's best for us. So we stay with what we know. We stay where it's safe. We stay with what is comfortable because if Jesus is anything, he's not safe or comfortable. And this darkness that we choose, this darkness that we love, plays out in our lives in many ways. And none of us are immune to this. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, then you're immune to condemnation. The Bible is clear on that. We've already celebrated that this morning. But you are not immune to darkness. Proverbs says that just as a dog returns to its vomit, a fool returns to his folly. And too often there are those who have turned to Jesus who slip back periodically into darkness. And if they'll just come back to the light, they will find he was just as forgiving and gracious as he always is. But see, any time that we give in to this darkness, any time that we love it and embrace it, we are ultimately doubting who Jesus is. There are some of you out there sitting in the darkness of shame. What you feel this morning is shame. You feel a load of regret. You think things like, man, you just have, I hear what you're saying, but you have no idea what I've done. I've made such a mess of my life. I mean, I tried to get it right, but then I keep making mistakes. And instead of bringing that to God, you, you choose to stay in that darkness because as miserable as it is, it's safer than coming out into the light. Because you actually believe that somehow God is ashamed of you. Or maybe you're, you're struggling with self-worth and you wonder how you could have value to anyone, much less God, and you believe that if you open yourself up to the light, then God will reject you like you believe so many others have. But what you're doubting is not yourself. What you're doubting is not even your decisions or your worth. What you're doubting is just how gracious and all-knowing and loving God is. You cannot surprise him. 
He already knows everything about you. He already knows every single way that you've messed up. He already knows how greatly you doubt him and he loves you anyways. He came for you anyways. And Jesus dying on the cross just screams out to us that God knew you'd make a mess of things. That's why he had to die. But he died for you anyways because to him you were worth that. Some of you today, are just, you're just sitting in the darkness of self-righteousness. And you feel and believe as, as if this is up to you, that you can control this. It's only worth having Jesus in your life if you earn it, right? So you take the free gift of grace and you add unnecessary rules on top of it. Or you begin to focus on things like dress codes and translations and worship styles. You begin to add rules outside of God's revelation to us in the Bible. And then when you keep those rules that you've added on yourself, you begin to feel superior to others. And then often those who do this demand others to follow their rules as well. And you don't come into the light of freedom. Because the light will expose what your self-righteousness is really about. Because in this darkness of self-righteousness, you are doubting the sufficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross, and you are doubting that he is more worthy of worship than you are. What you want is ownership in your salvation. And to submit to Jesus would be to admit that you can't save yourself, and submitting to Jesus is scary because to rely on anyone other than yourself is scary. Some of you are sitting under the darkness of pride. It's a close brother of self-sufficiency. But you're putting all of your worth and all of your standing before God in a list of things you do. You're a law-abiding citizen. You take care of your own. You treat people the way you like to be treated. You always believed in God and tried to be a good person. Why the heck would he want anything more than that from you? Right? I mean, surely you're good enough because you can look around and find a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people worse off than you, especially some of those church-going folks. But you see, in that darkness, what you are doubting is God's absolute holiness. When the Bible says, be perfect as I am perfect, be holy as I am holy, that's a standard we cannot meet. So we need saved from ourselves. But you see, if you come into the light, then God exposes our hearts and our intentions and our thoughts and we get to see how wicked they are. The light of Christ reveals our anger, our lust, our addictions, everything we've tried so hard to hide from God and from others and from ourselves even. So you stay in the darkness where it's safer and you convince yourself that you don't need saving, you're good enough. Some of you are in the darkness of just a deception. You hear what the Bible says about Jesus. You might even be inclined to believe it. You're open to it. And there's a part of you that wants to submit to it, but you're scared of what you're going to have to give up. There's some sin in your life. There's a lifestyle. There's a habit. There's a relationship. There's something in your life that you think if you submit to this, God's going to want to take that away. And I'm not going to take that from you. He might. Maybe that's exactly what he's going to do. But if you're choosing to remain in the darkness, to cling to that thing, then you are doubting the claims of Jesus. When Jesus says that he came to bring you life and life to the fullest, then when God says in the Bible that true joy, regardless of our circumstances, cannot be found outside of him, when it speaks that your truest identity of being in Christ, that the discovering your purpose and existence can be found only in him, you doubt all of that. Because you're believing that whatever it is you're clinging to is actually better for you than you becoming who you were created to be. And it's just a complete deception. 
And it's a darkness that has clouded your judgment. Some of you are under the darkness of, of self-sufficiency. Early on, you realize life just doesn't go like we plan it. Right? And so as a defense mechanism, you, you have developed this veneer of an armor where you build walls around your life in an effort to make sure that you don't need anyone else or anything. You won't be relying on anyone because you're going to pull up your bootstraps and you're going to plan ahead and you're going to be smarter and you're going to work harder and you're going to stay ahead of the curve. There's nothing that you can't handle with enough hard work and planning ingenuity. You're the master of your life and you're the captain of your soul. And what you're doubting is God's wisdom when he tells you you can't do this on your own. You're doubting God's plan that someone needed to die in your place because there's something wrong with you that needs to be fixed and you can't fix it. And in all your effort and bravado, you choose and love that darkness. Because if you come into the light, it exposes things that you're just not comfortable with. Because the light has a way of showing you how fragile your little kingdom really is. Anybody see that bizarre bit of news out of London this week? This, uh, this King Richard III who reigned in the 15th century in England. Now, the 15th century is back when being a monarch in England meant you were a boss, right? There was nothing that you desired that you couldn't get your hands on. People, people just did whatever you asked them to do. And, and like many power-hungry kings of his time, King, Henry was, or, or King Richard was ruthless in building his domain. Uh, he's believed to have murdered King Henry VI and even poisoned his own wife to rise to the throne, all to build up his own empire and throne, and he made it all the way to the top. And then two years into his reign, he was killed. And all of his efforts, all of his glory, all that he built, DNA tests confirmed this week that they have found the remains of this king. You want to know where he was found? His body was discovered as they were tearing up a parking lot. That for years in England, people have just been parking their cars on top of him, not knowing or caring about his precious little kingdom. Right. You see, you come into the light, and God starts to show you things. Like there's nothing that you have and nothing that you've earned that can't be taken away from you today. Nothing. That life is incredibly precious and fragile, and that you're fragile. I don't care if you can do 400 push-ups. You're fragile. Okay. But those aren't fun realizations. Those are scary thoughts. So you stay in the darkness where it's comfortable, believing that you've got this. You've got this. Some of you are just in a darkness of addiction this morning. Sometimes this is a, a substance. It's a sinful pattern. Sometimes it's even harder to detect than that. But there's something you've given yourself over to something that you chase and pursue and worship. There's something you constantly believe will actually one day fulfill you. Just one more hit, one, one more drink, one more act of pleasure, just five more pounds lost, right? Just one more conquest, just one step higher up the ladder, just one more income bracket, just one more, one more, one more, and I'll be fulfilled. It will finally be enough. And in this pursuit, you're so clouded by darkness that it never hits us that what we are chasing is never enough or we would have stopped chasing it a long time ago. And in this darkness, what we are doubting is God's provision, we're not believing that what he offers us and what he gives us will actually be enough to fulfill us. And so we chase lesser things. And if we stepped into the light, he would expose those things for what they are. He would show us how empty and unfulfilling they are. And we don't want to see that our pursuits are empty and unfulfilling, so we stay in the darkness. 
And maybe there are some here today that you're just in the darkness of past hurts, painful memories, right? You simply just cannot wrap your mind around the idea of there being a God who is good and loving when so much terrible stuff has happened to you. You cannot comprehend how God calls himself a loving father when your dad was a train wreck and did far more damage in your life than good. You've been hurt, you've experienced loss, you've been abused, you carry those scars with you every single day and what you're doubting really is God. What you're questioning is his character and his love and you may be staying in the darkness because it's easier and safer to stay there in the pain than come into the light and be healed. Because even though I tell you that Jesus has the power to heal every single hurt, that he suffered in immense pain and suffering for you, that he has nothing but love and good intentions for you, you simply don't want to open yourself up to anyone or anything because you've been hurt too much in the past. It's a darkness that has clouded your ability to see what's good for you. God says right here in John 3, he's declaring his verdict, and this is the verdict. That light has come into the world, but men and women love darkness. And the darkness hovers, and it encompasses, and it traps, and it ensnares, and it buries, yet we choose it. Time and again, we choose it. Because we love it. And because there's only one way out of the darkness... John 16, Jesus is telling his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit. He told them that the role of God's Spirit is to come and convict the world of its sin and convince the world of God's righteousness. That is, to put it in our terms today, to convict the world that they are in darkness and convince the world that God is a light worth running to. 2 Corinthians 4, right after we are told that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers and the eyes of unbelievers, we're told this in verse 6. But God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God and see that is seen in the face of Jesus. Right? We open this series by telling you, taking back all the way to the very beginning and reminding you that in his first creative act, God spoke and brought light into darkness and he's been doing it ever since. And the only hope that you and I have to come out of the darkness is for God to shine his light into our hearts and let us see things clearly for the first time. Listen, I cannot convince you this morning that you need Jesus. I can't do it. I can't convince you that you're trapped in darkness. I don't have that power. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not good enough with words. But I have hope this morning because I know a God who can convince you. And we've prayed over this series and asked him to do just that. And when God does this, what he reveals to you is twofold. Number one, you aren't all that you're cracked up to be. But number two, he's more than you ever realized. Proverbs 3 puts this perfectly for us when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. One little verse in the Bible that tells you this, you've got to stop listening to you got to stop listening to you you just do and that's not harsh or mean it's the best advice you can be given because answer this for me who's been worse to you than you have who's lied to you more than you have who has deceived you more than you have who has repeatedly gotten you in trouble more than you have and I think back over my life and any one of my friends had treated me like I've treated me I would have cut that relationship off a long time ago bro this is a destructive relationship I cannot be around you right but you keep hurting yourself. 
and you keep lying to yourself and you keep deceiving yourself and you keep putting your foot in your own mouth and you keep ensnaring yourself with bad decisions and you still think that you should listen to you first? God says, do not lean on your understanding. It's fallible. It's sinful. It's in darkness. Trust in me with all your heart. Come on out into the light. Listen how John puts it in verse 21. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that, they may, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's basically saying this, stop hiding, stop clinging, stop fighting, stop guessing, stop putting your trust in yourself, and just take God at his word. Because when you come into the light, we're told right here, what you're doing is you're coming into the truth. Right? And when you come into the life, the truth is exposed, and you are exposed for who you really are. You are broken. You're sinful, you're damaged, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're lustful, you're selfish, you're stained, you're angry, you're depressed, you're addicted, you're hurt, you're more. You're more and more and more than you ever realize. And Jesus says to you, guess what, I know. In fact, I knew it all along, that's who you were. And it's why I came for you. It's why I died for you, it's because I knew you needed rescued, but you needed to see it for yourself first. But now that you see it, now that you're in the light, just give it all to me. And my blood that was shed on the cross covers it all. It heals it all. It makes everything new. So stay in the light and rejoice that you are made whole and complete in me and by me. There are people all around this room this morning that would tell you their story. They were trapped in the darkness of addiction and confusion and doubt. They were ensnared by self-righteousness and pride. They were swallowed up by past pains and hurts. And Jesus broke through their darkness and brought them into the light. He saved them. He rescued them. You may be here today and that's your story. But you still, you still, you want to hesitate. You still want to say, God, I'm only going to go so far. There's still a struggle that you haven't been honest with God or yourself or others about. There's a, a moment or sin or struggle which God has called you into the light and you said, you know what, I'm stopping here. Thanks for eternal life. Thanks for forgiveness. Thanks for your grace. But I'm going to stay right in the darkness on this one. I want you to fix your eyes this morning on the light of the glory of God that we are told is revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Focus not on your darkness, but on the one who came to bring light. Realize you're not a completed project. And it's okay, because his aim and desire for you is to experience more and more and more of him. So come to Christ this morning, just as you came to him for the very first time, just hand him that darkness. And there may be, you may be here today and this is all pretty new to you. I'm, listen, I'm so zealous for you to experience the goodness of Jesus that I want to talk to you for the next 12 hours about what he can do in your life. But don't worry, I won't. Okay, it's not just because we want to eat lunch here in a little bit. Right. But here's why. It's because I can't convince you. I can't convince you anyways. And so I'm just going to pray and ask God to convince you. I just convince you of the truth that you need Jesus more than you need oxygen to breathe. To convince you of the truth that he is the greatest need you'll ever have. To convince you that you need rescued. You need saved from yourself and you can't do it yourself. But that's totally okay because somebody did it for you. 
I'm going to pray and, and ask God to convince you to stop listening to yourself. Right now, wherever you're sitting, you're probably trying to tell yourself that this isn't a big deal, that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to pray right against that. And here's what we're going to do. Okay. After the prayer, there's going to be one more song, and I'm going to be right up front here. And, and, and if God convinces you that you don't want to go one more day without Jesus in your life, that you need him, that you want to surrender him, then when the song starts, you get out of your row and you walk up here and you find me. Okay. If you're scared of that, great. It's a big deal. There should be a little bit of nervousness there. I'm glad you recognize it. If you want to bring somebody with you, bring somebody with you. But you come up here and I'll show you in the Bible how to give your life to Jesus. If there's more than one, praise God. Others will join me. We'll have other people come up. Brandon, just keep on playing. We're not worried about that, right? But this is an open invitation for you to come to the light of Christ this morning. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us enough to tell us that we need rescued. But God, I'm so much more thankful that you came to rescue us. God, you didn't just show us the need, you supplied the answer. And so I do pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning who, who, who do know that joy, who do know that experience, who do know the fulfillment that comes from you. And yet there's something in their life that they want to keep creeping back into darkness. God, I pray that they would surrender that to you and find you just as gracious and loving as we know you to be. They would leave that at the altar this morning. But God, for those in this room who, who do not know this, who've never experienced the touch and grace and love of Jesus Christ in their life, there's nothing more to say other than to ask you to convince them that they need it. There's no, uh, there's no combination of words. There's no amazing illustration. There's no point that I can make to convince them. You have to do it for us, God. And I pray that as we sing the song, they will get up out of their rows. They will come forward. They will give their lives to the one who came to rescue them. And they will find the fulfillment and joy and grace and love that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And we will rejoice and celebrate with them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name.